Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So we're starting a new series today and we're going to be busy with this uh, series for the upcoming few weeks. And I'm really excited to uh, get into, in, into it. And so the meaning of life, and the title of this morning's message is, What Has Shaped My Belief System? What Has Shaped My Belief System? Everyone on earth, everyone sitting here this morning, everyone you'll ever meet has got a belief system. Everyone, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter how young or how old they are, we are establishing daily a belief system. We're establishing belief systems. Some of us are uh, deeply rooted in our belief systems, and uh, we don't want to change them. And uh, I'm going to challenge you this morning, and uh, we'll challenge you throughout life. And the Word is there to challenge us um, continually to, to align our hearts with what, what, who, when, why, all of that, um, the message of the Bible. Now, what other kind of systems do we find in the world? We find digestive systems. All of us got one. Some of us are, are digestive systems are a little bit uh, better than others. Um, we've got immune system, ecosystems. We've got solar systems. So there's a whole bunch of systems. And uh, why I'm uh, referencing some of those is because our belief system is similar to an immune system or an ecosystem or digestive system in the sense that if it's not functioning within its order, within its design, it's chaos, right? If our solar system starts moving around and some planets start disappearing, there's going to be chaos. And so in the same way, our belief system, if it's not functioning and uh, operating within its design, what it was created for, there will be chaos. And some of your lives feel like it's chaos. It's a mess. And it's because of a faulty belief system. And now what I'm not saying is that I've got all of the answers. What we as a ministry is not saying is we've got all of the answers and we've got a perfect belief system. But we are dedicated to grow and mature in the things of God. And we're dedicated to when we come to the Word, to have an openness about what is the Word saying, not what I have I believed up until now, and filter what I'm reading through that belief system. Because that will create problems, because it will keep us blinded to something new. Right? Hebrews 13, 13 verse 9 says that Jesus Christ, or let's go there quickly. I'm going to horribly paraphrase that. Hebrews 13 verse 8. Let's um, look at verse 8 and 9. But verse 9 first, he said, Don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strengths come from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. So there's a specific context here. Um, but the, the, the first part of verse 9 said, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. So you might think that hearing something new is a distraction and I'm not going to receive it. But that something new is linked to verse 8. What does verse 8 says? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So if you're something new is distracting from who Jesus Christ is, who's been the same from the beginning of time, the message of the Bible, then it's new and don't receive it. But if it's edifying and magnifying who Jesus Christ is, it might be new for you. Who of you have heard something new about the Word, who Jesus is, within the last year? Good stuff. Within the last month, something new about who Jesus is, what He came to do for us, what He's revealing to us. 
So that new, it might be scary for you in a moment, especially if it's challenging something that you've believed for 10 years, 5 years, or however many long. And the challenge always comes in like, man, am I going to investigate this or am I just going to push it aside because it's new? If you're just pushing it aside because it's new, it means that you cannot grow. You cannot mature in that thing. You cannot accept the challenge. It's like going to the gym and you, uh, for your whole life, uh, your, your, your PB and bench press, PB personal best, and bench pressing is um, 100 kilograms. Like you can keep at 100 kilograms for all of your life, but if you want to increase, if you want to grow and take that 100 kilograms to 120 to 150 and push that up, you're going to have to go to the gym and try something new. Add a little bit more weight. Add a little bit more. And so the same for us in the Word. We need to be open to come to the Word and embrace something new if it's glorifying Jesus. Because embracing that something new will mean that you'll grow and mature in the things of God. And that's the invitation. Okay, but that was not uh, in my notes. I'm going to get back to the message for this morning, but I trusted that less someone. So we are talking about belief system, and if our belief system is not operating within its design or purpose, it will create a dysfunction. Who here wants to build dysfunctional lives? If we don't want to build dysfunctional lives, we need to be challenged and ask ourselves, are we building dysfunctional belief systems? Because if your belief system is faulty, the result will be a dysfunctional life. Have you ever considered asking yourself these questions? Where did my belief system come from? Why does it influence my belief system? Why do I believe what I believe? How much do I believe what I believe? These are important questions to ask and to consider. Because someone who's not a, a believer in Jesus Christ or Christian might come to this, this, this place asking, why are you a Christian? And if you do not know why you're a Christian, don't think that you'll convince them to want to know anything about Jesus. Where did our belief systems come from? And if you're here this morning and you're kind of sitting on the fence and uh, you've got a different belief system to Jesus's and uh, who Christ is and what he came to do for us, then you also need to ask yourself these questions. Where did my belief system come from? What has influenced my belief system? Why do I believe what I believe? And how much do I believe what I believe? Is the source of where I gained my belief system from reliable? Is the source where I gained my belief system from? Is what has shaped my belief system up until now, is it reliable? It's a good question to ask, even for us as Christians. And it's important to investigate these things, because a lot of people come to believe certain things about everything, never actually asking some of these questions. Every one of us here in this room has got an opinion about a lot of things. And that opinion is based on certain things that have shaped that. And it's called your belief system. But oftentimes we don't even stop and pause and consider, why am I doing it like this? Why, do, why are we doing church like this? We've tried, if you've been part of uh, this church for a few months at least, you'd, you'd find out that we do things pretty differently. Now if I could have my way, and maybe one day I'll have my way, um, the way that we are sitting right now would look pretty differently. The, la the way that we're facilitating this would look pretty differently. Not for the sake of difference, but God is not about... He doesn't have this idea of church or, or meetings and gatherings to be one-directional, one-way communication. Yes, there's a time and place for teaching and uh, uh, the, the breaking up of, of the Word, but there's also time to ask questions. 
for you to ask questions. You wonder like, but what about this? Or I don't understand this. If we don't pause and allow for those things to come into play, it eliminates or distracts from a growing opportunity. And so these are kind of things that, that we need to ask ourselves. Why am I doing things like I am? Why do I believe what I believe? And a lot of us don't want to ask these questions because it's effort to think for ourselves. It's effort to think for ourselves. It's effort to switch on. And some of you are switched on this morning and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're considering it and you're thinking about it and you're pondering about it. Some of you are just sitting here and like wondering about, like, okay, cool, lunch is going to be amazing and I've got this planned and we're going to do these things and such a lack of weather outside, maybe a glass of wine. You're being lazy. You're not engaging in the word and what God has got for you this morning. And what is the result? You're missing out. You're missing out on something. You're missing out on life. And so with regards to our belief systems and what have we come to believe up until now, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Why do I believe what I believe? How much do I believe what I believe? If you're not convinced, you will not convince anyone. If you're not convinced, you will not convince anyone. And God has invited us into a place of growing in knowledge, growing in understanding of who He is, because then we'll become convinced and we won't stop and we'll be purposeful and intentional about sharing the love of Christ with the world. Because that's God's desire for the world to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. If we truly want to experience life and its fullness, we need to be willing to let go of things we've embraced. Things we've come to believe up until now. Belief systems that we've come to establish up until now. If we're willing to embrace more of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, we need to be willing to let go of things. It's like the picture of uh, if you've got your hands uh, clenched and uh, you're holding on to what you have. So for example, if I've got 10 rand in my hand and I'm clenching my hand and I don't want to let go of it, and someone else wants to give me 100 rand, for example, I can only receive that 100 rand if I open up my hand to receive the 100 rand. And so a lot of us are clenching onto our belief systems. We're holding onto them for dear life. And oftentimes that belief system is not producing a lot of fruit in my life. And if it's not producing a lot of fruit, you need to ask yourself, why is that? Because Jesus clearly tells us in John chapter 15 that you will bear much fruit and it will bring much glory to my Father. So if there's not much fruit bearing in your life, I'm not talking about kids. Some, uh, some people think that uh, having a lot of kids is uh, what Jesus talked about there. It's not what he's talking about. If your kids are being brought up in the way of the Lord, and they're being trained in righteousness and getting to know their father and becoming world changers, world impactors, and by all means have a lot of kids. We need to be willing to be challenged. We need to be willing to admit that we've missed something. It's called humility. I've missed something. And it's not fun to admit that I've missed something. A stronger way of putting it, which I don't enjoy putting it, is like, you're wrong. It's not about right and wrong, but it's about you've missed something maybe. You've misinterpreted something. You've misunderstood something. And that's fine. All of us have been there. I've been there multiple times. And I'm going to be there. I'm humble enough to say that. I don't know it all. But if you come to ask me a question, you come to seek something, or you come to challenge me with uh, a belief that you might have, we're going to sit together and we're going to go through the Word and we're going to navigate through it. I'm not going to tell you to just go away, like uh, just believe what I've told you to believe. That's not the heart and nature of God. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 from the Passion. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on Him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, say embrace, embrace. 
Embrace. embrace. So it's accept. It's embracing as a matter of life or death. What is it talking about? Embracing what? All that I teach. You prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace, again, embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. So Jesus is referencing teaching. And so teaching is important. But it's not teaching just word. It's teaching the gospel. It's teaching the message of Christ. Because you can go to the Bible and find something other than Christ. Right? You can find a lot of religion. You can find a lot, a lot of rules. Legalism. Condemnation. But we need to go to the Bible and study it through the lens of what Jesus came to accomplish. Because Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. So Jesus is saying that if you embrace, if you, if you work this into your life, what I've taught, it's not religion, it's life. It's the words of life that Jesus carried. You prove that you are my true followers, for if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. Who here wants to experience more freedom? Right? So all of us want it, all of us are desiring it, but desire is not good enough. Desire is not good enough. Desire without action, desire without effort, is not going to produce anything. Every person probably in this room would also say, I desire to be in a healthier shape. But how many of us are actually getting healthier in our shape? Not a lot of us, because it's effort to put those things into practice. I wasn't thinking of anyone specifically, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I see some of you were laughing and some of you were wondering, like, who am I thinking of? I wasn't thinking of anyone. I myself also desire to be in better shape. But desire is not good enough. If I don't put it in action, if I don't plan, if I don't uh, appropriate things in order to facilitate that, it will not happen. And so if we're not embracing the truth of who Jesus is and growing in that, we will not experience the freedom that he came to give us. Now this concept of truth wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just a, a concept or a thought or an idea or a piece of information that Jesus is talking about here. It is reference to Jesus himself. For he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto me but by the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus identified himself, who he was, what he came to accomplish as the very truth of life that will unlock your freedom, that will unlock your liberation. Now we're going to get into... Uh, uh, just play a few videos in a moment and then if I can ask you anchor there at the back just to switch off the lights. And um, before we get there, I just want to um, read these few things for you guys. And these videos are, are based on this question of our belief system. What is our belief system based upon? Why do we believe what we believe? I want to share with you because we're obviously talking about the Bible this morning. We're talking about Jesus and uh, we just want to get some background to how did we get to this place? How did I get to this place of having this as my belief system? And these are just a, a few examples of why I believe what I believe, why I value the Word of God as authoritative over my life. And these, whether you're a Christian this morning, this will, this will establish that in your heart. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you've got a few questions in your heart. Hopefully this will help you um, just understand a little bit more of the Christian faith and why we believe what we believe and where all of this came from. Where did the Bible come from? And so, uh, Mark, you can play the, the first video there on the brief history of the Bible. And then straight after that, you can play the video of 
the um, historical reliability of the Bible, and then we get into some more wood. When you think of best-selling books, what titles come to mind? Perhaps The Lord of the Rings. It sold 150 million copies worldwide, which puts it in third place. A Tale of Two Cities has sold 200 million copies. That's good enough for second place, but it's still not the all-time best. The number one best-selling book in all of history is the Bible. In fact, the Bible has sold over 5 billion copies and has been translated into more than 2,000 languages. The history of the Bible and how it came to be the most widely distributed book in the world is a remarkable story. The drama begins in antiquity, many centuries before Christ. The scribes, priests, prophets, and poets of the Hebrew people kept a record of their history with God, along with their inspired insights and hopes. Because these writings were a vital part of Hebrew life, they were carefully copied and recopied many times. As time went on, these sacred writings were gathered into three collections known as the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Eventually, these three collections came to be considered the canon, or official list, of the Hebrew Bible. However, when Alexander the Great and his successors conquered the ancient world, Greek became the common language of the people. So, in the 3rd century BCE, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek for Jews and others living outside of Palestine. This Greek translation was called the Septuagint. It contained all the books of the Hebrew Bible, plus an extra seven books not originally in the Hebrew collection, called the Apocrypha. This was the Bible used by Jesus and the early church. Greek remained the common language for hundreds of years, so when the early Christians recorded the life of Jesus and the teachings of the Christian faith, they also wrote in Greek. The earliest writings of the New Testament are the letters of the Apostle Paul. He wrote to people in specific places, but other believers also wanted copies of Paul's teachings, so his letters began to circulate. The Gospels soon followed, as well as other letters, exhortations, sermons, and writings. Eventually, guided by the Spirit of God, the Church put together a collection that most accurately testified to Jesus Christ. By the end of the 4th century, Church councils reached a consensus, and the canon of the New Testament was officially recognized. Also in the 4th century, the Emperor Constantine authorized the creation of 50 copies of the complete scriptures, and possibly for the first time, the Old and the New Testaments came together as one book. Almost as soon as the Bible was formed, scholars began translating it into other languages for Christians living in other parts of the world. It was important to the early church that as many people as possible had access to the scriptures. The most significant translation of the early church was a Latin version called the Vulgate. A scholar named Jerome spent over 20 years living and studying in Palestine in order to make an official translation of the Hebrew and Greek scriptures into Latin. The Vulgate eventually became the official text of Western Christianity. However, the Latin-speaking Roman Empire fell in the 5th century, and tribes such as the Vandals, Goths, and Huns invaded Europe. Christian monasteries began to collect biblical texts, especially Jerome's Vulgate, preserving and copying them throughout the centuries. By this time, missionaries and soldiers had brought the gospel to the British Isles and translated the Vulgate into the common language of the people. But many rulers and church leaders felt that the scriptures in the popular language of the people challenged the church's authority. 
Even though Latin had long ceased to be the common language of the people, it became a crime to possess or circulate non-Latin copies of the Bible. However, not all leaders felt the same way. In England, late in the 14th century, a churchman and political figure named John Wycliffe and his followers translated the scriptures into the common language, and it was completed the year Wycliffe died. The authorities did all they could to suppress this English Bible, going so far as to dig up Wycliffe's body and burn it. They banned the use of any new translation, and many people were persecuted for copying or reading translated scriptures. In spite of this, the English people hungered to hear the biblical story in their own language. But copies of the Bible had to be made by hand, so complete Bibles were scarce and very expensive until a printing breakthrough occurred in the middle of the 15th century. In Germany, a goldsmith named Johann Gutenberg created the printing press, allowing books to be printed on a machine rather than by hand or wood block. The first large book produced by Gutenberg's press was Bible in Latin. However, by the middle of the 16th century, the Latin Bible had been translated and printed into 14 other languages. It was around this time that a young scholar from England named William Tyndale came upon the scene. Sometimes called the father of the English Bible, Tyndale believed that people had the right to read and hear the scriptures in their own language. He eventually went to Germany, where he translated the New Testament from Greek into English, and it became the first printed English New Testament. Copies were smuggled into England and secretly purchased and read. Even though readers and owners were arrested, the scriptures kept flowing in. Tyndale went to Antwerp to work on a translation of the Old Testament, but before he had completed this work, he was betrayed, arrested, condemned a heretic, and publicly executed. His last words reportedly were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Tyndale's prayer was answered three years later. The first authorized Bible in the English language, called the Great Bible, was published as a result of King Henry VIII's injunction that an English Bible be placed in every parish. People flocked to the churches to listen to the reading of the scriptures in their own language. Early in the 17th century, King James I authorized a new translation of the scriptures. This translation, known as the Authorized or King James Version, is still read today but it was only the beginning of English Bible translation. Since the Tyndale Bible, there have been close to 900 English translations or paraphrases of the Bible. This, coupled with versions in 2,000 other languages, makes the Bible the most read, most translated, and best-selling book in history. The fact that virtually anyone on earth can have the scriptures in their own language is due to the perseverance and sacrifice of those who never wavered from the belief that the Bible should be available to anyone who wishes to read it. However, that does not mean that every person on earth has open access to the scriptures. In some areas of the world today, the Bible continues to be seen as a revolutionary and dangerous book, and its publication or distribution is either highly monitored or banned outright. Many people can face persecution, imprisonment, or death for owning or teaching from the Bible. Perhaps you wonder why this book is so popular that people would risk their lives to obtain one. Those who do so believe that the Bible is more than simply a collection of stories or a book of history. They understand it to be the very Word of God, revealing His love, encouragement, and instruction to humanity. There is something about the Bible that draws spiritually hungry people to its pages and nourishes them. 
As long as the desire for the scriptures remains, there will be people like Jerome or Wycliffe or Tyndale who are willing to dedicate their lives to bring God's word to you. To obtain your own detailed copy of the Bible Exploring A Short History or your own Bible, please contact the Canadian Bible Society at www.biblesociety.ca. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, is the Bible historically reliable? Oh, I think so, absolutely, Bobby. And I think if you look at six lines of testimony that begin with the letter E, as an overview, you can see that it is. First of all, we have early testimony. Most, if not all, the New Testament documents are written prior to 70 AD. Secondly, we have eyewitness testimony. For example, there's 140 details between the Book of Acts and the Gospel of John that have been verified to either be eyewitness details or details that only an eyewitness could know or somewhere they knew somebody was an eyewitness. Uh, thirdly, we have embarrassing testimony. That may sound a little strange, but there's so many embarrassing details in the text that the writers never would have made up. Like, for example, they never would have called, had Jesus called Peter Satan. They never would have had Peter deny Christ three times. They certainly wouldn't have run away while the women were the brave ones at the crucifixion, right? That doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't have the women be the first witnesses. They wouldn't doubt that he had risen from the dead after he had risen from the dead. There's so many embarrassing details. This is not a made-up story. Uh, number four, we have excruciating testimony. That literally means out of the crucifixion that these individuals died brutal deaths, excruciating deaths, where they could have saved themselves by saying Jesus had not risen from the dead, but they went to their deaths anyway. We also have expected testimony, that's number five. In other words, there's Old Testament prophecy that causes us to expect a Messiah in the first century with the same characteristics Jesus had. Just, just look at Isaiah 53. You don't need to go much further than that. And then uh, finally, we have extra-biblical testimony. Uh, we have 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus' life. And when you take their brief references to Jesus and early Christianity, you get a storyline congruent with the New Testament. So, for those six reasons, early, eyewitness, embarrassing, excruciating, extra-biblical, and expected testimony, we, we pretty much know that the New Testament is Uh, I mean, you guys can switch on the light thing. So just a, a number of things from the, the two different videos to, to take into consideration. And you might think, like, I was already a believer and I didn't need that. Or uh, maybe uh, you're uh, not a believer and you're still not convinced. Um, that often happens when you when you share truth with someone and uh, they're just not convinced. And, and uh, I love there's a, there's a saying that says, a man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still. And so uh, if, you do, if you do not want to embrace something new, if you do not want to uh, uh, um, be convinced, you'll choose not to be convinced. You'll harden your heart, you'll blind in your, you'll, you'll blind in your eyes, you'll look the other way just to not be convinced. And uh, I love the, the, both, both of those videos. Firstly, one, um, the first one on the history of the Bible and the compilation, it's really remarkable. And oftentimes we take what we have for granted. I don't know about you, I take for granted oftentimes what I have the, the Bible readily available on my phone in any given translation, any language. And uh, through history, some people have literally died for making this available to us. And yet we take it for granted. We kind of put it on the, a bedside table, it gathers dust, 
or we never open up our app. We're on different apps, more than uh, the Bible app. We're on Instagram, uh, TikTok, and all of these other places, not really valuing what we've got. Now imagine you do not have a Bible anymore. Imagine we, we've fallen into a time in South Africa and the world where we start getting persecuted and monitored as to whether we spend time on the Bible. And it becomes illegal to study the Word. Just imagine that for a moment, right? We can't imagine because none of us have grown up in times like this. None of us know people who are going through persecution like this. So it's very difficult to imagine that. But just for a moment, imagine that you'll never be able to open up your Bible and read Scripture. Read of Jesus and what He came to die for you. It's a depressing thought. We need to wake up to the reality of what we've got, the life that is in our hands of Jesus and what He came to do for us. An invitation over our lives. Just a few uh, quick facts. And it's important to also like, kind of remember these facts in your conversation with, with people who aren't convinced. People who are seeking. Because there are people in our lives that are seeking. They, they are asking questions. They're wondering about why do we believe what we believe. And here are some answers for you. The Bible is reliable. Written over a time period of 1,500 years. 66 books, 40 authors, three different languages, three different continents, and they all share the same story. It's impossible. If we just hear in this room, I tell uh, Norma a story quickly. Uh, you guys know the phrase telephone or telephone key. I don't know if it's an English thing as well. Uh, in Africa, is it an English thing? And uh, is it also an English thing? Okay, good stuff. So if I tell Norma a story, a brief story within one minute, and I ask her to go and share that story with everyone here in this room, or one person, and then that person needs to carry it on, and we've got a whole line here of people lining up. If I get to the end of that line, the story is going to be different, right? Because every one of us interprets something maybe differently, or we add this, or we add that detail, or we miss this detail. The Bible, it's not the case. It is a miracle. 1,500 years, 40 different people, different continents, different languages, different kind of books, different literatures, po poetic books, uh, historic books, and then uh, the Gospels and all of these accounts, they all have the same story. It's a divine orchestrated miracle. The way that it's been preserved by God. Miraculously, through men, obviously, because he needed us. He needed men to, 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 to work these things. He needed a body. That's why Jesus also came. And then lastly, uh, I love with the, the last video, uh, if you guys can just remember these six, uh, he talks about the, 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 the six E's. And to remember this and to bring it up in a conversation when you're talking with someone as to like, why is, why is your belief system reliable? Because the Bible is our belief system. The Bible is why we believe what we believe. Why is it reliable? And he talked about the early witnesses as to uh, how early the, the letters were written uh, uh, within the, the time frame of Christ's life and his death. 70 AD, uh, most of the New Testament letters specifically. Talked about the eyewitness accounts, uh, someone that knew Jesus. That, uh, and that talks more about the canon of the New Testament. There's a lot of cool videos on that uh, on YouTube that I wasn't going to play this morning. Then the one on the embarrassing testimony. It's a great one to remember. The embarrassing testimony. The fact that these writers, the apostles, had embarrassing truths about them put into the letters. If it was some kind of hoax or if there was some kind of hidden agenda within the Bible, within the New Testament, 
I'm just going to keep my best, the, the clean side in front, right? Why would I share embarrassing truths about, about my life, about how I lived, about how I denied Christ, or, or uh, all of these things? Then talk about excruciating testimony, obviously the fact that uh, all of the apostles died excruciating death. And one, the, what I like about this is the fact that a lot of people in history have died for things that they believe in, right? A lot of people have died for things that they believe in, causes that they believe in. But not a lot of people have died for causes that they believe was a hoax, that they believe was a lie. What do I mean by that? The apostles, the, the disciples that were part of uh, uh, writing these letters for us and their, 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 cru- or their execution and their death, they didn't just die for something that they believed in. They would have known Jesus didn't rise from the dead if it was a lie. They would have known. The disciples would have known that what we are talking about, what we are kind of trying to orchestrate, it's a lie. Because they lived with Jesus. They saw and they were part of all of that that happened. And so people do not die for things that they believe is a hoax. In the way that the early disciples and apostles died. So it's a completely different thing. Yes, people have died for causes that they believe in. But they have not died for causes that they believe are lies. And just a hoax. In the way that the early apostles died. And then expect the testimony talking about the Old Testament scriptures and writings and prophecies about Jesus. Many, many of these. And if you go and study that out, you'll also be amazed at the, the miraculous uh, or the, the probabilities that are so scarce that you, you have to have a lot of faith not to actually believe in Jesus. You have to have a lot of faith to not believe in Christ and what he came to do. And then obviously the extra biblical uh, accounts backing up these things. And so, just in, in closing, I want to share some thoughts with you as to, and the, the video starts on some of these, th- these things, what the Bible isn't. It's important to understand what the Bible isn't. The Bible isn't a guide for living a good life. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not only for educated, highly intellectual people. We saw that through the, the video as well. That the Bible should be readily available to any person in any language. The Bible is not a buffet, guys. Where you go to a buffet and you just choose what you want. And leave out what you don't. Who of you have ever approached the Bible as a buffet? Left out things that didn't suit your, your liking. I've been there where like, ah, fast this one. I don't think Jesus made that. Let's just brush over that quickly. That's not the Bible. The Bible is not a buffet. Pick what you want and leave out what you don't. The Bible is not a history book, even though there is history in it. The Bible is not a rule book, keeping rules. Do this, don't do that. There are rules in the Bible, but that's not the Bible. What is the Bible? The Bible is a message of God's love for the world. John 3.17 God did not send His Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its Savior and rescue it. That's so beautiful. That Jesus came not to condemn the world, not to put judgment on the world, not to to push the world aside, but to draw the world to himself. To show and to radically lay down his life for the world. And Romans 5 verse 8 tells us that Christ died for us while we're still sinners and ungodly. Not wanting anything from him, not desiring anything from him. At your lowest low, Christ chose to die for you. The Bible 
shows us that there's a problem. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are all nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither all and fall. Our sins sweep us away like the wind. And this is the reality of and the state of the world. And Romans 3, verse 23 also talks about that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's, no, there's not one human being that, that is not part of this group. There's a problem. But God, praise God, He made a solution. Isaiah 43, 25. These are just some references, some scriptures to look at. And I'm using Old Testament scriptures specifically for a reason as well. To understand that the Old Testament is not outdated. It talks about and it prophesies and it, it points towards the plan of God and the fulfillment coming through Jesus. And so Isaiah 43, 25 says... I, yes, I am the one and only who completely erases your sins, never to be seen again. I will not remember them again. Freely I do this because of who I am. Man, how did we miss that? How did we misinterpret this, this nature and character of God and His desire is to not remember our sins? We often remember our sins, right? And of the people around us, all of the spouse is not there. It's like, yes, it's true. I do that. This is not the nature of God. He doesn't keep record. And what Jesus came to accomplish for us is the erasing of sin. Then the Bible points us to salvation through Christ. Colossians 1, 26-29. There's a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now it's being revealed, unfolded and manifested for every holy believer to experience. Living within you is the Christ to flood you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for His people. And God wants everyone to know it. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person to the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration, passion, and ministry to labor with tireless intensity, with His power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being His perfect one in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. It's so simple. The gospel and the message of the Bible is not complicated. It's not striving. It's not working. It's not performing. It's not trying to appease an angry God. But it's coming to believe that He is a good, just Father who's created us for relationship. He's created us for purpose, for belonging, for family. And all we need to do is come to know Jesus and respond to His life that was laid down. It's that simple. By grace through faith. So how do we respond? John 5, 39-40 You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The Scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, Jesus uh, being quoted here, uh, and he says that you're searching the scriptures and you're going to them. And you can maybe fill in this in other senses as well. You, you're going to this book or you're going to this religion. Or you're going to all of these places thinking that they're going to give you life. They will not. They cannot. Because it's not your creation. It's not what you were created for. You were created to be one with your heavenly Father. And Jesus made that possible for us. To enjoy oneness with Him. But maybe you're here and you're refusing to come to Him. You're refusing because you're holding on to you. You're believing and you're choosing to build your belief system on a whole bunch of different things. 
And I'm trusting that in some way this morning the Holy Spirit is revealing to you and showing you that your belief system is faulty and it's shaky. And what the Bible is, the miracle of the Bible and what it is about is a solid, firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. You're searching the scriptures. You think in them you'll have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me. So what is the result of salvation? If you haven't responded yet, then these are some of the results of salvation. There are many more. Ephesians 1.13 And now you Gentiles, just basically meaning non-Jews, non-believers, or uh, previously non-believers, you can be a Gentile and be a believer. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. So it doesn't matter what, what color, what, what age, what, what race. It doesn't matter what your background is. Everyone is part of God's redemptive plan. Everyone is part of what Jesus came to die for us for. That's the message of the gospel. And that is how we, we receive this, the, this life of Christ, hearing this message of the good news that God saved us. And when we believe in Christ, He identifies us as His own and giving us His Holy Spirit, enjoying oneness with God. Colossians 1.13 For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So whatever darkness, whatever lack of, of purpose that you've experienced up until now, God has rescued you from that. But the only way that you can start experiencing this light is by coming to Jesus. And through coming to Him, we can experience life, we can experience the kingdom that God has Invited us into experiencing. Lastly, closing, John 17, verse 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, the one you've sent. Knowing God and or eternal life and salvation is not just a matter of, man, at least I'm going to be in heaven, or at least after death I know where I'm going. There's so much more to eternal life, and Jesus simply defines it for us here, what salvation is about. It's knowing Him. Personally, intimately coming to know Him. There's no other religion, faith, whatever out there, where the God of that faith or that religion is inviting us into intimacy, to know Him intimately as fathers and sons, fathers and daughters. The Bible is not a religious book. It's a, it's a message of redemption. It's a message of hope. It's a message of the problem is solved. Are you willing to accept this? Are you willing to enter in on this journey? If I can invite you to stand with me and ask yourself this question. Again, how solid is the foundation of your belief system? What you believe today? Whether Christian, whether non-Christian, how solid is that belief system? Is it built on a shaky foundation or is it laid on the rock? Jesus told about Peter when he identified him as, as the Christ, the Messiah, that upon that rock God will build his church. Upon that rock is a foundation of, of something that cannot be shaken. Your life cannot be shaken. And yes, circumstances can come and things can happen that, that are... Uh, there are opportunities to be troubled, but you can live troubled free through those circumstances, through those tragedies. Let's close our eyes for a moment.
And just consider again, like how solid is the foundation of my belief system? What am I building my beliefs upon? If it's not that solid and you are wondering this morning and you're considering to get to know Jesus a little bit more, I want to just invite you, are you willing to give Jesus the opportunity to reveal himself to you through the inspired word of God? Are you willing to give Jesus the opportunity to reveal himself to you through the inspired word of God? I want to encourage you, you don't need to know everything. And this is something important for us to know. If you believe and you've got friends or family who's, who's unbelievers and they haven't come to know Jesus and responded to his life, then it's important to understand this truth that you don't, and them to understand this truth, you don't need to know everything about God before saying yes to him. You just need to know one thing, and that is Jesus died for you to come in full and emptiness that you never knew existed or always knew, but never knew how to fill it. Jesus came to die for you to fill an emptiness that you have, a lack that you have, give you purpose and belonging. And you don't need to know everything about the Bible, but you just need to know that one thing, because that one thing is what the Bible is about. The message of redemption. God solving a problem. That problem was solved through Jesus, dying for our sins, being raised from the dead and giving us His Spirit to enjoy oneness with God. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca